0: <laughs> <Morning. laughs> <Morning. laughs> All right. How's your week so far? Ten yeah, in there. that's good. Good to see you. Good to see you once again. Uh, my name is Norbert. Welcome to Point of Grace Church, especially for those who are worshiping with us online. Welcome. Last week, we talked about a crisis that leads to desperation, a crisis that leads to desperation, and when we act in faith, this act of desperation will turn into blessing. We break the curse and turn this into blessing. Today, I wanna talk to you about audacity. Just this one word that I've been thinking about this and brewing about this for a whole week, audacity. The Hebrew word for audacity is the word chutzpah. Have you heard about this? Anyone? From your Jewish friends or probably from the books you read, you probably heard or read this word, chutzpah. It's audacity. Sometimes it's defined as the shameless audacity. Let me give you an example. Uh, A man murders his parents, his father and mother. He's taken to the court in front of the judge. He tells the judge um, I need more mercy because I'm now an orphan. Chutzpah. Are you still with me? This is the shameless audacity that sometimes is defined with a pejorative connotation, negative connotation, that should not be it because it's rude. But on the other hand, it also has a positive definition of being celebrated as by someone who has this guts to get what he wants, audacity. It's very interesting because the Bible talks also about audacity in Christians and in prayer especially. So the question for us today is, Will you dare, because this is about daring, being audacious, being, be having the gall. So the question is, will you dare? Will you dare what? Now, last week, I'm gonna pick up from the story of, of the Gibeonites. Last week, we talked about the Gibeonites, and we talked about the Gibeonites that were on the hit list. Now, Joshua had already destroyed Jericho. He destroyed Ai. Next on the hit list were the five kingdoms in the northern country, in the hill country the Amorite kings, and among the Amorite kingdoms, these Gebonites were smarter, so they thought, we're going to go to the Israelites and, and not lead for mercy, but we're going to trick them so that we can make an alliance with them, so they dressed up, they pretended like they're from a faraway place, and they went to the Israelites and said, we want an alliance, we came from a very, very faraway place, we want an alliance with you. And so without even thinking, without even having to consult God, the Israelites said yes. This is a fatal mistake uh, on the side of the Israelites. And in the name of God, they made an oath to have an alliance with the Gibeonites. After a week, the remaining kingdoms, the Amorite kings, five of them said, this is not right. The Gibeonites were one of us and yet they made an alliance with Israel. So let's make an alliance among ourselves, let's gang up and attack the city of Gibeah. So one week after deceiving the people of Israel and Joshua, here comes the Gibeonites asking the people of Israel to rescue them. Isn't that Chutzpah? That's audacity, if you may say. Let's read from chapter 10, verses 6 to 7. This is what it says. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Uh, this is some guts. This is what Joshua said. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Now, at this point, the... Amount the number of Israelites who attacked the city of Ai were about 30,000 people, 30,000 soldiers. So what this is saying is that, by the way, the city of Ai only had 12,000 people inside. A combination of these five kingdoms would probably amount to at least more than 100, 100,000. So that means Joshua with only 30,000 will have to fight against an enormous amount of soldiers. That's probably five to one. So this is not an easy thing, but they have to respond positively because the Gibeonites, uh, although they tricked them, but they made an oath in the name of God. Now, this is what it says in verse, th- verse 3. Just to put a perspective on this. It says, so Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, went to Hoham, uh, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Iglan. Kind of hard to <laughs> to pronounce these names. <laughs> it's a good thing our, our kids do not have these kinds of names. Okay. So the point here is this five kingdoms, five kings made an alliance together. And now they're attacking Gibeah. Gibeah made an alliance with Joshua and Israel. This is a tough call for Joshua. In fact, this is a tough call. Joshua knew that God is able and God is willing and God is powerful enough. He had proven that many times in Jericho and in Ai. But this is a combination of five kingdoms, and they will have to battle against the five kingdoms. So that God had to assure Joshua of one thing. He said this in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them will stand against you. Now God has already assured Joshua that he will fight for Joshua. Joshua. But Joshua must have this audacity to fight. If he is to win, he must have the chutzpah to fight. And Joshua had it. Not only, it's a funny thing, because not only Joshua believed God, Joshua raised it to another level. He had more audacity w- than what we expect. This is what Joshua did. Now, verse 10 and verse 11, this is what it says. And the them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Machida. Now, these are places in Israel where there was a battlefield, um, and it's a, a huge battlefield. In verse 11, it says, And they fled before Israel, and while they were going down the ascent of Beth the Lord threw down large stones from heaven. Now, what's this large stones from heaven? Uh, it will say that there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. What he's saying is that when the people of Israel fought against the, the alliance of the five kingdoms, God threw down hailstones from heaven, a size not of a tennis rocket ball, but the size of a volleyball. That's why many died. In fact, in, in verse 11 it says, more died from the hailstone than from the sword of the Israelites. Just so that we're clear, the battle is the Lord's, the victory is the Lord's. So that Israelites will not claim the acolytes that they fought against the, the five kingdoms and they will say, you know, we did it. It was God who killed more than what the Israelites killed through the hailstones. Kind of makes you think, you know, God throwing stones from heaven sounds like Achan being uh, stoned because he, he violated the covenant of the Lord. It sounds like that. Or it sounds like you know, the city of a and the city of Jericho fell down and they became a heap of ruins. God pouring down his wrath through the hailstones. But but this is not even the point here. The point is that God has rained down from heaven and he is victorious. He was the one fighting for Israel. Now let me show you one of the biggest chutzpah here, one of the biggest audacity that Joshua did. We'll find that. In verse 12 and 13. Now here's the scenario. Uh, The Bible said that the moment that the Gibeonites asked for help, Joshua marched all night. Uh, The uh, distance between Gibeah and Gilgal, where the Israelites were, is about 30 miles. So they will have to march all night uphill and downhill. Sorry, that's uphill and downhill. 30 miles. That means they marched all night. And when they arrived, it was the breaking of dawn. And people are in panic because there were hailstones coming in. And Joshua needed more time. All right, here's the scenario. Joshua needed more time because there will not be another opportunity where all the five kingdoms are there so that he can destroy them at once. So Joshua needed more time. And look at what he did in verse 12. It says, At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over the sons of Israel, And he said in the eyes, in the sight of Israel, stand still, sun at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. If I'm Joshua, this is how I do it. Sun, be still. Moon, be still. This This is amazing. And it says, and the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. This has never been done before. This is the biggest audacity, prayer of shameless audacity of prayer. This is the biggest hutzpah ever. Look at this. It says, The sun stood in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set forth about the whole day. In verse 14, it says, There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought with Israel. This has never been attempted before. Not even Moses did, not even Noah, nor the, you know, the heroes in the Old Testament. It was Joshua who attempted to stop the sun and the moon. What does it mean? See, in the ancient Near East, the sun and the moon are gods in the sky. And for Joshua to stand up there and to say, sun be still and moon be still, is like commanding the gods of the sky to be still. Of course, Joshua doesn't have the power to stop the sun and moon from, you know, going down, going up. It was God. So he was in a prayer appealing to God so that the sun and moon stops. This is, this is amazing. Now, I know scientifically it doesn't make sense. I mean, if the earth revolves around the sun, here's the sun, here's the earth. If the earth stops moving, because the o- that's the only time the sun can stop. If the s- earth stops moving... It's like you inside your car uh, at 120 miles per hour and you suddenly stop, you will be thrown out of the car. That's the idea. So many scientists would say it's impossible. I agree, it's impossible. This is impossible. So is the crossing of the Red Sea. So is Jesus walking on water. So is Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Are you with me? This is impossible in a natural explanation. If you explain it naturally by science and physics, it will defy science and physics. But this is the point of supernatural phenomena. God can do it. God can do the impossible. It says, the sun stood still at Gibeon, and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. The phrase for be still is just one word, actually. In Hebrew, it's the mom. Joshua said, the mom. To the sun and to the moon, the mom very interesting. And here's the point of it. The point of the whole passage, chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, is not about the Israelites fighting against the the alliance of five kingdoms. The point of the narrative is not also about the stones coming down from heaven. The point of the narrative is the chutzpah of of Joshua. It's the audacity to pray and command the sun and the moon to stop And God honored it. In fact, that's what it says in verse 14. There's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. As if God obeyed the voice of man. This is what's being said in verse 14. Only in this portion where the Bible says God heeded the voice of man. And to me, this is very interesting. Um, (coughs) I think sometimes um, when we pray we don't have the audacity of, J- of joshua uh, sometimes when we pray uh, because we are trained to uh, manage our expectations so we pray like we're trying to beg for for god to do something uh, this is what i like about pentecostals any pentecostals here or before okay cool oh good okay <laughs> right this is what i like about pentecostals pentecostals when they pray it's like they're ordering from a restaurant. Lord, I want this, I want that, I claim this, I want that. You know, the audacity to claim and ask God for something. But Baptists when they pray, any Baptists in here? <laughs> <laughs> but Baptists when they pray, you have been to Costco before? You know, there there are food stalls in Costco booths. They they have sample food and they will give you, you know, as as much as you like. Baptists, when they pray, it's like they're asking for samples. It's like, can I try that? Lord, can I try that? Oh, my brother has this. Can I try it again? May I have another one? It's like begging for something that it's already for you. It's made for you. You're made to eat it, to have a sample of it. Uh, My daughter, who's uh, three years old, she, she would always, uh, sometimes, but before she would always have uh, milk before she sleeps. But now she sometimes skip it. But there are times when she demands for her milk. So, so what I do, I put the milk and I put some cocoa powder to make it more, you know, uh, taste like uh, sweet. Um, and she likes it. And sometimes, because my wife, she makes coffee and she uses the milk, sometimes I would say to my daughter, um, I cannot do the cocoa because we run out of milk. But my daughter would look me in the eye and say, Papa, I want cocoa. As if I'm a magician, I can come up with something like that. So I'd say, uh, Indai, uh, we ran out of milk. I'll go to Walmart tomorrow and buy milk for you. But then she would look me in the eye seriously and she said, I want cocoa now. <laughs> I mean, this is interesting, how, how she would perceive me. You know, my daughter calls me super dad. it's very interesting she calls herself also super lucy because she uh, watches uh, Woolful, and there's a character of a girl called lucy she's super lucy but i'm super dad because apparently i can make anything for her see sometimes when we look at god as if god can can really make anything for us and so joshua took upon this this promise of god so god told joshua do not worry do not fear nobody can stand against you I'll give the victory but Joshua took it to another level and with chutzpah with audacity he stopped the sun and the moon this is very interesting see there's another story in the new testament which is the same thing another Joshua in Mark chapter 4 there's Jesus with his disciples on a boat in the middle of the sea of Galilee in the middle of the night they just did some ministry in Capernaum and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side and the disciples were rowing their boat and suddenly in the middle of the night in the middle of the sea there was a windstorm you'll find it in Mark chapter 4 a windstorm it means 80 percent wind 20 percent rain it's just wind you know it there's nothing to worry about but it's big winds you know the waves are big now and so to the point that the disciples we're so afraid of what's happening. Um, I was able to ride a, a big boat. It's called Roro uh, in the Philippines. Uh, it's roll-on, roll-off. There's a big boat that can, um, that can bring vehicles in its belly and bring what from one place to another. It's called roll-on, roll-off. It's, it's a huge boat. And so from my hometown, Quezon Province, we went to a certain um, island called, called Marinduque. if you've been there, uh, it's about a uh, six-hour ride. So, you know, nonchalantly, um, summer 25 years ago or, or so, we went there. But coming back, uh, Filipinos don't care really about storms. Yes? And so, you know, we were happy. We didn't know about anything. Maybe the captain doesn't, don't want us to panic. So we just moved on. So going back to Dalehican in Quezon Province, in the middle of the sea, from Mariduque to Quezon Province. There was a huge storm. One of the scariest experiences I ever had. The sky was so dark, the waves are so big. So imagine, I'm, I'm in the big boat. Supposedly, you're not supposed to be afraid of the big boat, okay, because it's secure. I'm in the big boat, and I'm sitting here, and the uh, starboard is over that way. And the boat would, because of the waves, the boat will go like this and go like that. And so whenever I do this, I would l- only look at the sea. There's nothing but the sea if I look out at the, at the window. If the wave go like this, it's nothing but sky. So it's now you see, now you don't. <laughs> now you see. It's really scary to begin with. Now I'm going to tell you, I was a new Christian at that time to make sure I, I thought I'm going to die. So I prayed almost more than probably five times sinner's prayer just to make sure I did it right. I did it in English. I did it in Tagalog. (laughs) I tried to throw in some some verses, John 3 especially. I want to make sure that I did the right word so I can go to heaven if I just suddenly die. This is so scary. It's probably the same thing with the disciples when there, there was a windstorm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 48. Mark 4, verse 48. Let's see this. This is very interesting to begin with. Uh, this is what it says in verse 38. But Jesus, uh, let me start with 27. A great wind storm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, you, you, can, you can understand this. There it's a smaller boat. But he was in the stern, that's Jesus, sleeping on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher do you not care that we are perishing now remind you remind yourselves that there are four fishermen amongst the disciples of jesus christ fishermen who were experienced fishermen who knows what sea of galilee is they have experienced storms in the middle of the sea of galilee so they shouldn't be alarmed but the fact that they were alarmed the fact that they are saying master don't you know that we're perishing don't you care that we are perishing that's something else Um, sometimes I think whenever we experience something in our lives when a tragedy strikes we sometimes uh, pray like this like the disciples thinking that God doesn't care but to them at this point it's a question of panic because they think that Jesus was obviously sleeping and therefore he doesn't care so sometimes when we pray it's probably because there's, there's no answer probably God doesn't care Maybe you're thinking, Father, I've been single for 10 years now, and I'm still single, and all my friends are married. What's happening here? Or probably, Lord, it's been two years now since I lost my job. I I want a job. And as if God is quiet. Sometimes when we pray, it feels like a knock-knock joke. You know the knock-knock joke? Knock-knock. Nothing. (laughs) Nobody in the house. As if you're praying earnestly to God and and nobody's answering why is it because god is busy or god is doing something else sometimes prayer also sounds like a ring in the phone ring if you're if if you want some guarantee press 1 if you're looking for god press 2 if you want money press 3 if you're in urgency press 911 see sometimes honestly can we be honest now can we be honest Who feels that sometimes God is absent? God doesn't care when you pray. Am I the only one honest here? (laughs) Yeah? Because I feel too sometimes. I'm a pastor, yes. But you see, I have prayers too. And sometimes I have doubts too. See, doubting is not really bad. Because doubting, when you get into the doubt, doubting makes your faith authentic. It's good to have doubts. Because it makes your faith come alive. And sometimes... Maybe we feel that when we pray for something and that something does not come and it's left unanswered, maybe we feel that God doesn't care. But the truth is, Jesus was sleeping there, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. He was sleeping, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care. So maybe we pray to God and God does not answer. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's always busy. It doesn't mean that he's doing something else is no time for you. It just means that Jesus was sleeping. And so at this point, Jesus stood up, and Jesus stood up, and he said, pa not shopal, it's shopa. Sh- it's a Greek term, it's actually two words. Shopa pefimoso means peace, or quiet, hush, stand still. Just like Joshua, Joshua said to the moon, stand still, the mom. Jo- Jesus said, shopa pefimoso. Now, let me put you something with something interesting here. The disciples knew about the book of Psalms. You've heard the bo- book of Psalms. You've probably read the book of Psalms. And there's a portion in the book of Psalms that talks about people in the middle of the sea and in trouble. Psalm 107, verse 28 and 29. Let me read to you this one. Because this is, this is very interesting. Verse 28, it says, And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And he delivered them from their distress. It sounds like the disciples here on the boat. And in verse 29, it says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Perfect. And then it says, Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This is the book of Psalms. This was probably written way, way before Jesus came and the disciples had this kind of experience. What they understood is that only God can stop the waves in the sea. Are you with me? Only God has the power to stop the wind and the sea, the storm in the middle of the sea. So when Jesus stood up and he said, peace be still, they were thinking, only God can do this. But why would they say, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? Here's Here's the insight here. They know that Jesus can turn the water into wine. They have experienced that. They, they know that Jesus can cast out demons. All good, check. They know that Jesus can do more wonders, heal the sick, uh, and do many things. All good. But they never understood who Jesus is in terms of his relationship to the waves of the sea and the storm because they thought only God can do that. So when they're trying to wake up Jesus, they were, they were into thinking that Jesus you're the only one who has direct access to the Father, so please wake up and save us. See, they, okay, they can also pray. But they understood that Jesus has more direct access to the Father than them. So they would want to wake up Jesus so Jesus can petition the Father for salvation. And when Jesus stood up, it's with audacity, with chutzpah, that he said, peace be still. Let me explain to you why this is a big hotspot here. Now here's the point. Now I might sound heretical here but you have to uh, wait until I finish the sentence, okay? So I don't sound uh, heretical here. We understand that, that God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Say yes if you agree. Yes. Jesus is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipresent say yes if you agree now i I again I i may sound heretical here but the implication of the incarnation is that when jesus was born in human form he voluntarily did not exercise his powers and his authority before when he was incarnated in the flesh let me say that again just to be clear see We believe in the trinity that's we're cool with that we believe that jesus is equal with the father in terms of power authority uh and identity all good but when he came down to earth and took the human form he became limited he did not exercise his authority and his power if god is omnipresent jesus was not omnipresent that's very obvious if god is omniscient jesus was not omniscient in fact when he was growing up the bible said he learned a lot of things he did not know everything at once Uh, God is um, omnipotent. Jesus was not. Okay. Here's the thing. The the very idea that uh, when Jesus began his ministry, he was brought by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was so hungry that the the devil said, you know, you're hungry. There are stones in here. Turn the stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone he is implying that he is totally dependent on the father for his sustenance he will not move he will not use his own powers to do it he's totally dependent on the father for sustenance that was the saying and then what did the devil do brought him to the pinnacle of the temple and said jump what did jesus say do not tempt me i know that the father will ultimately rescue me but i will not jump See, what Jesus is saying here is that he's totally dependent on the Father for his authority and for his powers. When he turned the water into wine, he was not using his own powers, but the powers of the Father. When he was casting out demons, he was not using his own authority, but the Father's. This is what John says, John chapter 5, verse 19. Very interestingly, John chapter 5, verse 19, this is what it says. So this passage talks about authority, okay? This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, and the Son does likewise. What he's saying here is simple. The Son is only using the prerogative authority and powers of God as how he sees it fit. So whenever he does something miraculously, he was he was actually using the power and authority of his father. It's for the same reason that when he was resurrected from the dead before he ascended to heaven, he said, "All authority has been given to me." Only at that time, all authority has been given to me. Are you still with me? Now this is not heresy to say that Jesus was not omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient while he was on his earthly ministry. He was totally dependent on the Father. So that means when he stood up to say, peace be still, he was, he was appealing to God the Father to stop the winds and the sea. Just like Joshua. Joshua was Joshua's appealing to God to let the sun and the moon stood still. That's what Jesus was doing. Very interestingly, Jesus had a lot of galt, a lot of chutzpah to do this one. But Jesus also knew when to audaciously pray and when not to use his rights to pray. See, when he was when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter tried to defend him by using the sword. And Jesus said to him in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verse um, sorry, um, Mark Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Matthew twenty six. It's kind of hard to keep Bibles here. Okay, here we go. Mark Matthew twenty six verse fifty three. This is what it says. He said to Peter, "Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels?" Jesus, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, could have asked the Father to defend him, but he did not. He knew at that time it was not the proper place to ask the Father to intervene because he was dead set to die on the cross. He had the audacity to pray, but he did not. He knew the proper place for it. 12 legions, a legion is about 600 soldiers. So that means 12 legions of angels is 72,000 angels could rescue him from that in the garden of gethsemane but he did not there was another instance when his disciples were just coming from casting out demons and they failed a lot miserably so they came to jesus and he said we cannot cast out demons and jesus told them because you lack faith they lack the faith if you have but a faith as small as a mustard seed You can remove mountains. From one place to another, you can command the mountains to move. Now, it it doesn't mean that you go to Georgia or North Carolina and you start landscaping mountains, okay? It doesn't mean that. The whole point is this. The whole point is that if you believe that you have the right, God gave you the right to pray like this, you can pray in faith and God will give it to you. It's for the same reason, brothers and sisters, that God just said, Seek and you shall find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. See, if you have the guts to pray, it will be given to you. You see, Jesus had these guts, but he knows how how and when to seek it. Jesus said when he was trying to teach the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray and address God as Father. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Supposedly, we have the connection to God as our Father. I overheard one time uh, Jordan and Abdallah, they were talking about Baba. Jordan was calling Abdallah his Baba. Baba means Father. Abba means Father. You get it? Dad, Thai, Papa. See, Jemak, my son, cannot call Abdallah his baba. Because although it's generic, it's personal. You can only call God your father because it's personal to you. I can call God, I can call my my father tatay, or you can call your father the way you want to call him, but that's personal for you. See, what Jesus is saying is that we can call God our father because we have a personal connection with God. Do you believe it? like uh, asking amen. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Do I believe that God, our Father, is our Father? See, when Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, you can address God as your Father. And one good thing about this is this. Not only that God is our Father, God knows what's best for us. you believe that? See, this is what happened. On the first day, God God said. On the second day, God said. And on the seventh day, God said it was very good. See, the God who created everything determined what is good. And He knows what's good for you. In fact, He said in the Bible, Jesus said, Don't you know that you evil dads can give something good to your children? Don't you know that God is even more good? And He know what's good for you? Will God not give you a good if He knows what's best for you? thinking so so pastor if if God is good and God wants what's best for me why am I not as rich as Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos why I don't know the answer to that maybe maybe because God knows you cannot handle it maybe because it's not gonna make you go closer to God or maybe because you haven't even asked I don't know the answer to that but what I know is that God is good God is our Father, we have direct access to God because He is our Father. And all you have to do is to pray with audacity, pray with chutzpah because it has been given to us that direct access, that big appeal. I want to end with this. Perhaps the biggest chutzpah, the biggest audacity is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was praying, he was asking God, Father, Abba, is it possible that I do not drink this cup? Here's the thing. If you survey Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you cannot find any other mention of the word Abba except once in the book of Mark. Except once. Jesus specifically used the word Abba to personalize his prayer with the Father When he said, Abba, Father, is it possible that I do not drink this cup of suffering? See, I I think this is the biggest audacity because Jesus was trying to go against the will of the Father. And yet at the end of his prayer, he said, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to bring this together. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and when he prayed he said not my will but yours be done it's very consistent with this teaching about prayer the only way we can come up with that audacity to pray is when we know it is God's will for us to do that Joshua knew the Amorite kings were given to him it's all for the taking I want you brothers and sisters to dare I want you to, to pray like you believe. Pray like it's been given to you. To Pray like it is your right to demand to God. You have a right as children of God to ask God for something. Do you believe that? Let's stand up. See, this prayer, this prayer is so interesting. What I'm trying to say is that what I'm trying to say is that when you pray, do not just ask for something. Maybe ask something for the impossible. Maybe dare to dream for something that's hard. Because if it's easy, it's easy. I mean, you can do it. You don't have to pray for it. But I dare you to pray for something that's probably impossible. Because we believe that in God there's nothing impossible. See, there's this song that's, that goes, We can raise a hallelujah. This song is beautiful because. When it was being composed, uh, raising hallelujah means being audacious, having the audacity to ask God for something, to even sing in the middle of the storm. Have you ever tried that? Sing in the middle of the storm because you believe that God will intervene? I want you to sing this song with prayer, with chutzpah, with audacity. Claim because you are the Son of God. Let's sing it.